Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast where we give you just a few minutes about just one page of the Talmud each day. And today is a very special day, for it marks the return of one of the great Hasidic masters of our time, sitting here right in front of me, Bedeckton Corduroy. He is indeed the Corduroy Rav, Mr. Mark Oppenheimer. I really hope that one of our listeners buys me a t-shirt that says corduroy rav. I'm size medium, men's size medium, or maybe it's a corduroy patch that I can put on something, or maybe it's a corduroy shirt. I don't know, but I really want corduroy rav gear. Or is, oh, it's a corduroy, a corduroy strimal. strimal. It's a corduroy it, it, it has big be. hat trimmed in corduroy. Because yes, I am the corduroy rav, and I also, I need chassidim. I need people who are willing to follow me, who are willing to join my court and well, worship me. After today's episode, yes. I think you will have many more followers. Okay. Because today's sugiah, or the one question that we're going to discuss, is tailor-made for your sensibilities. I will begin. <laughs> literally tailor-made. At literally by someone stitching. J-pressed J- for your, for your yes. size. Yes. I will begin by reading this curious um, exhortation that I don't think actually appears anywhere else in the Talmud and, and is, is a very profound note and, and guide to life uh, in, in a way more explicit sense than many things about the Talmud. Here we go. As Rav Yehuda said that Rav said, one is prohibited from eating before feeding his animals, as it is stated, and I will give grass in your fields for your animals first and only then, and you shall eat and be satisfied. This is Deuteronomy 11.15. In the verse, preparation of food for one's cattle precedes preparation of his own food. Consequently, it is considered part of the preparation for one's own meal, which is kind of intense. Not only are you to not sit down and eat before you feed your pets, your livestock, etc., but you should think of the act of feeding them as if you had just partaken in feeding your own family and your own self. Now, as an habitual, occasional, frequent, uh, committed vegetarian, uh, and as a owner of how many uh, pets? Three, but two whom I love. <laughs> I love my dogs, and I'm waiting for my cat to die. Well, that is not the right note on which to I start. owe your listeners nothing but, if not my candor. And, that's uh, correct. That's right. uh, as, as someone who has some sympathy for some animals, sometime. That's right. Um, what did you make of this astonishing commandment? First of all, let's be clear that Torah is not vegetarian, right? There are rules for how to eat meat and how to kill meat and when it's okay to eat meat. And how to offer meat as ritual sacrifice. As ritual sacrifice, right? Which uh, is done frequently. Torah does not uh, believe that um, one should not kill animals, clearly. That said, if one is leading a Torah life, one would be extremely mindful of how to kill animals, when to kill animals, when to sacrifice animals, right? You you would be thoughtful all the time about how, not only how you take animal life, but of course, how you work your oxen in the fields, right? That, that there are rules, uh, again, this is largely in Deuteronomy, we get a lot of these rules, but Torah is very clear that you are not at liberty to um, treat animals as your tools or your possessions. Um, you are uh, at liberty to work with them and to uh, kill them sometimes and to eat them, but with certain rules, under certain circumstances and with a certain mindset. And I think that this passage, again, it's Deuteronomy eleven fifteen. 15, um, it, it's really worth looking at 
where it's embedded in Torah, right? The, the rabbis will often say it comes right after this passage or this passage, right? So if we go to Deuteronomy 13, if then you obey the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and soul, right? So loving God, Next line, I will grant the rain for your land in the season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in the new grain and the wine and the oil. So love of God then progresses. Leads to, to prosperity. and Leads to prosperity plenty. and having the land and having wine and libations. And then I will provide grass for the fields and your cattle. So then you will get the prosperity of a good harvest. And then thus shall you eat your fill. Right. So it begins with a love of God and God's creation. And then it progresses to a sense of, you know, you will then prosper and be well and you will get you know rain in the season and then the grass will grow up and it will be grass for your cattle and then you shall eat your fill and the fill might include eating the cattle but it's all embedded in this cycle of life of of seasons and agricultural harvests that people have to be incredibly mindful about and of course as we learn elsewhere in the torah that you also have to treat with respect by sometimes setting aside corners for the poor sometimes letting the land lie fallow so really this commandment and and this talmudic discussion that you have to wait until you fed your cattle and then you have to be mindful of the cattle when you eat yourself is that's laced throughout all of torah see this is one thing that has always fascinated me about your approach to to eating animals or not eating animals because I feel you're one of very few people I know who actually embodies this this cyclical way of thinking. Most people I know who refrain from eating animals have this kind of rather rigid ideological stance. They're either vegetarian or vegan, and they say, "Well, this is something that I'm simply not going to do. It's a line I'm not going to cross." Uh, with you, as I said, you're 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 vegetarian curious. You're you will sometimes partake. <laughs> it's more in, like I'm in meat. Carnivore curious. Carnivore I'm, curious. I'm, I'm, I'm right. So let me. You, you're you're giving, car curious. You're giving me an opportunity to to lay out what my practice is, and my practice is that I was always, you know, a meat eater. I loved, you know, I loved the fishamajig at Friendly's Restaurant. <laughs> uh, I loved the double. The uh, pride of New England. The double and the triple at Wendy's uh, with, you know, a Frosty and fries. And then sometime in my mid-20s, I uh, I read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation, which has been, you know, a central text for many of us who care about animal rights. And I soon thereafter gave up eating chicken because I... It seemed to me, based on my reading of that book, that 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 factory farmed chicken were the most abused of all animals and that it simply was unconscionable to participate in an economy that tortured chickens like that. I don't think I was even thinking then about the ways that workers, uh, many of them undocumented and exploited, were abused in factory farms. But that's a whole other uh, consideration as well. And I think soon thereafter that, so maybe when I was 26 or 27, I also gave up pork because I was more interested in um, in bringing Jewish practice into my life. I was still eating fish. I was still eating uh, beef, I think. And then I met Sid, who has been a vegetarian since the day she left for college. Uh, literally, like her last meat was the night, I think, before she left for <laughs> college as a 17-year-old and has not eaten any meat since, um, even though she had some pretty bad meat cravings during a couple of her pregnancies. One point, we were in on the Lower East Side and she said, you have to get me off the island of Manhattan now or I'll make you take me to Sammy's Romanian. Right. Um, and... Um, and so she said it was very important to her to have a vegetarian household. And so we do. There's, I occasionally, I'd say about once every other month, I eat some meat. And it's usually when the meat has already been ordered and killed and it would go to waste otherwise. And so my practice also is that it's probably better to eat stuff that uh, that will otherwise go to waste. Already was prepared. Right. That was already prepared, already slaughtered, and that otherwise would be thrown out rather than ordering newly prepared food, vegetarian or not, that would consume more energy in, you know, in the environment. So you can quarrel with that. Which is part that. of this, no, but it, it is but part me, of this cyclical 
well thought, right? right. Of, of, well, where does it all begin from? It begins with the love of God. It begins with the kind of energy that goes forth into making the land plentiful. Right. And what I like about Talmud is I do feel like it gives, um, it kind of backs up my anti-fundamentalism, right? So people think of, of observant Judaism as being this highly rule-bound thing. But in fact, what's interesting about Talmud is they're contesting and arguing over the rules all the time and saying like, well, maybe the rules are this. And then a rabbi will say, well, I actually read it this way. And it's an ongoing contest. To me, fundamentalism is very antithetical to Judaism. And so vegetarian fundamentalists as well, people who would never, ever, ever eat meat. uh, And again, that includes my wife. That's not my path in part because I think it's always worth thinking of other considerations. And if one of the considerations is not wasting, sometimes the least wasteful thing to do is to eat some meat that's already been laid out on the catering spread. Do you think that um, passages such as the one we've we've read in today's stuff, do you think it should change not just the way we approach how we consume or don't consume meat in our own lives, but also the whole way we think, say, about kashrut? Do, should we start factoring in um, animal cruelty. You spoke about chicken factory farming, something that bothers me personally a great deal as well. Should we start looking at not just if the food is halakhically appropriate and prepared in the halakha or slaughtered in the halakhically appropriate way, but also treated humanely as part of certifying something kosher? Absolutely. I mean, and again, this some would say, well, this is this is Judaism evolving into even more stringencies, even more fences around fences. But maybe this is a place where more stringencies and more fences around fences are appropriate. Um, you know, so there, for example, is uh, the organization that's trying to have an ethical kashrut certification, Magen Sedek. And then you have companies like my distant cousin's company, Grow and Behold, which is trying to do stuff that's both kosher and ethically and humanely slaughtered or raised. So I do think so. I think why not take on an additional burden, which actually I think is a kind of liberating joy of saying the food that you're eating is is has been treated kindly and the people made it. treated not just according to the letter, but also the actual spirit yeah. of Judaism. I think that's right. The Kodor Yerav, I raise my vegan impossible burger to you yet again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I wish you many whales of corduroy. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoyed this show, please go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly section of Reading Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope you've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs> we are both. Look at that. That is a wide whale. That's like. That is a wide whale. That's an eight whale quarter. I, I, I do the wide whale. You do the <laughs>